five, four, three, two, one. <clears throat> I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society from, for Strategic Marketing. <clears throat> yeah, and my style consultant said yesterday I wasn't really clear that you can get you can you can s- subscribe to WDMA for free. Okay, so if you want my marked up articles, and today we've got some real humdingers, especially the last one. Uh, that you might want to get your hands on <clears throat> may not be available anywhere else online in a short time. Who knows? You know, we never know. But I will. Uh, so just go over to wdma.org. There's one through my head here. There it is, right there. Or down here when it comes up, wdma.org for Wisconsin DMA, <clears throat> and you'll be all set. Okay. So first, let's go over here to. The Grinch bots that stole Christmas. Walmart's accused of allowing Grinch bots, and so is eBay. And what's happening is, and I heard about this, uh, someone in the UK that I know said they couldn't get they couldn't get a slot, a delivery slot for the online grocery delivery, because um, wow. Well, Pete, maybe you subscribed on Periscope because that does give you an alert, and uh, I like it. Um, anyway. Walmart and eBay, especially, don't have a lot of, I guess, they don't have a lot of security for their websites, and people are scooping up the game consoles, the Sony Playstations. It says, you have a serious problem with bots and website infrastructure. And then they got, people are buying these up, and they're marking them up 300%, which always happens when you're rational when you're rationing a desired item maybe maybe Walmart should raise the price 300% and use the money to get better security but anyway so these bots are scooping it all up and this is why AI is so handy because AI can accomplish things or basically programming can accomplish things that a human can't accomplish the the uh, the human is stuck with trying to manually place an order, and it is hard. It is so hard that you can't even hardly stand e-commerce. It's almost worse than going to the store. Uh, the couple of orders I've placed this year, um, well, Land's End was horrible. I had to do it several times. Uh, Vermont Country Store was pretty bad also. I think it's because people are using these generic front-end e-commerce platforms that are just very, very difficult to, um, yeah, they just won't let you in. You know, if you own an e-commerce company, I dare you to place an order. Just try and place an order and do it on a, do it on a, uh, on a private browser. You know, don't use your cookies that remember you and who you are and all that stuff. Just try and be a new customer. Go on a private browser, bring up your website and try to find something, and then try to order it. It's almost impossible. For those of you in the catalog industry, if you're not using QR codes that direct people to the item they're looking at, big mistake. Because half the time I can't find what I'm looking for, even though I see it on the picture there. And it says, come to our website, and all you get is their main page. Very, very stupid. Okay, anyway, <clears throat> here was a really good article. Morag Cuddleford Jones, Marketing Week. Telltale signs of data mismanagement. Today, there are some great direct mail articles. If you're interested in direct mail, stick with us. Um, 
how 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 are you doing today? Yeah, good. I'm doing great. <laughs> if you're interested in direct mail, we usually cover direct mail, but sometimes we cover data because they're interconnected. Direct mail is the best way to get good data, which is ironic because we're going to talk about the election just a little from a data perspective. But basically, this article says 90% of those surveyed in the research stating uh, in in this research study had a shifted their company's priorities toward marketing-led growth, at least somewhat significantly. 44% use data as much as possible, and 26% almost always use data. The danger is, what data are you using, right? More than half said data mismanagement actively hampers. I don't know about that. I mean, we did a project with East Bay, not eBay, but East Bay, and the president wanted us to do it. He was marketing oriented, and the uh, the IT, the VP who was head of IT, the VP of finance, had all the accounting software and stuff. He didn't want us to do it. He was mad at the other guy, and so he arranged for the IT people to to actively give us bad data. <laughs> we still did okay, but we had a, a million dollar contract on the table and we we lost it um, because we didn't win the test. And we not only that, but we refunded them their de non-refundable deposit uh, and later found out that it was basically sabotaged. I doubt if that's what this means. Right? I doubt if this that's what this means. But it's the top barrier, the top barrier to growth cited by the research was that the data is a mess. Okay, so uh, there's clearly motivation to get the data under control. And big brands have trouble with it because they have, you, you know, a lot of stuff. A lot of these order management systems that you're using or inventory management are running on old mainframes. You know, I know clients, I know customers and clients that are still running on HP 3000 um, software. They may have upgraded their, their hardware to virtual, but, you know, they're running on 60s computer architecture, okay? I don't feel bad. Google says most of their algorithms were invented in the 50s, and we use SPSS that we got a special copy of in the 90s so you know it doesn't make it wrong it just can make it hard to manage okay so the problems identified in this research come under the umbrella of data mismanagement include the amount of time spent cleansing the data that's really important you know when we started this process we were just shocked at how many illegal dates were in orders <laughs> if I had a nickel for every August 32nd you know, just, I mean, really off-ball, oddball stuff. But oftentimes, it's 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 integral. You know, in order to transfer from warehouse A to warehouse B, uh, operations might place a an order, and it might be a million dollars or something, you know. They'll place an order, run it through the system, and, and ship it to the other warehouse. Take it out of one, move it to the other. It accomplishes the operationals goal, but when you're trying to do modeling and you've got a million-dollar order stuck in there amongst, you know, $300 orders, it can really skew the results. <laughs> you know, we had one client. I said, who is this so-and-so that, that spent $5 million with you in, like, Akron, Ohio? 
And they said, we don't know. I said, you better find out. With the Hudson Bay, we, we, they called us up when we just got started running their system. And we ran, through, we ran through 250 million transactions for the Hudson Bay. And they called up and they said, your data is no good. And we said, why? And they said, well, uh, we found an order for $92,000 in, in your data. And they didn't keep their data. You know, if a customer called up and said, hey, I got a $92,000 item on my bill, on my credit card bill, they would go, oh, well, what is it? Oh, okay, we'll take that off. <laughs> Happened to be a pair of blue jeans from out on the prairie, you know, like out in Edmonton or someplace at a base store out there. We could look it up. They couldn't look it up. They just said, this can't be right, okay? So anyway, there could be B2B in there. There could be buy and return for an apparel company. Uh, Bullock and Jones, we were able to isolate the zip codes that had a high buy and return rate. And we would charge them extra and take away the margin, take away the sales and the margin. But a lot of systems don't do that. So in the beginning, we had every time there was weird data, it would explode and we'd have to stop and start again. We finally got it to be a little more automated where it would go through and ignore the crazy and put it off to the side. But when you're building databases, that can be really cost prohibitively expensive. We got sorted that out, I think, faster than most companies who were pioneering in big data. Um, and it's a complex cost-benefit analysis. I tell people, like, for example, the werewolf variable. There's an article on my on Migmar.com. I don't know if it's on WDMA. It may be on LinkedIn. But, again, we can, we can find it to you. Just put werewolf article. Um, so werewolf... So the werewolf variable is the distance from the full moon that a customer might order. And when you aggregate that up, in some cases, those customers can be up to twice as valuable as your average customer. Okay? What's the value of it? Well, it's a lot if, you got, if that happens. If you find out that those customers are twice as valuable, you know, you run special sales, special full moon sales, and you can do it with e-commerce and digital, right? Didn't help us much back in the catalog days. That's why we didn't build it. But for most of our clients, doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter at all. <laughs> the full moon differentials are just the same. But unless you look for it, you don't know. So people say, well, why don't we build that? Okay, we'll build it. And the way we structure our contracts, we don't charge extra for building new variables. Maybe we should. Maybe it would keep us from doing a lot of insanity. But that's kind of how we work. So we want to have the innovation be baked into the process. And, but the problem always is with data is you say to your IT department, we want the wear variable just like John has. And they say, well, it's going to cost you 10 grand or whatever. It's, a, it's really hard to build. You have to have tables and stuff. It's not something you can just say, oh, let's just take the 15th of the month or something. Anyway, or every 28th day or something you can't do that you know you can't just you got it it moves faster and slower it's pretty fascinating but anyway they'll say okay it takes twenty thousand dollars to build it how much is it going to get you you don't know until you run it you don't know be cheaper to run a test with us and find out might make you more money than the rest of the modeling put together okay pragmatism says we should deliver the most best ROI, but that won't necessarily help you when you get a new idea like that. It's a misapprehension that we need more data. The more data you have, the more spurious correlations you'll have, and the more nonsense you'll have. 
I can tell you, because that's 90% of what we do in modeling, is we throw out the crazy stuff. Smart data people can strike fear into business leaders' hearts. 35% struggle with getting enough smart people. Okay, Not everyone is a data scientist, but everyone has a data scientist on their team. We need more smart people who can look at data. But this data analysis isn't just a data skill. It's a linguistic skill. One of my clients told me, we break every rule of statistical analysis. Well, I ended up crossing paths with a professor of statistics at at uh, UCLA, and I worked on his book a little bit, uh, helped him with his PDF, and he called me up and thanked me, and I said, I spent about an hour with him, and he said, you don't break every rule. You have higher standards. You have to ha- you require it to make sense. You want it to tell a story. Yes, that's what we do. That's why we beat basically everybody that we ever go head-to-head with. Okay, sorting the wheat from the chaff isn't as easy as it once was. Get some third-party help. Fine. Send us your data. We'll look it over. We'll run a test. We'll tell you. It's not complicated. It's just hard work. Three key elements, technology, people, and process. You need a process. There's a data process. You need, and here's the most important part, you need to know what you're looking for. It's not just a question of piling up the data because then you'll just go chasing down spurious correlations. What we used to tell people is it's not data mining, it's data sluicing. We know what gold looks like. We know how to find the gold. We have a machine that separates the gold from the mud and the water. That's the end goal. And almost no one has it. Okay. Now, all that said, all that said, you can't beat a vision that has commercial value, and that's what we do. Okay. So now let's talk about some other data. I'm a little reluctant to even flip over here, but this is an article that I ran across yesterday that Senator Ron Paul, is it Rand Paul? Rand Paul posted, and if you watch the comments, it was uh, he was vilified. He was it was. People were saying he should be tried for treason for the idea even of throwing any light on or raising the question of are there any issues that should be looked into. Now, I spent 40 years looking into goofy data. So I thought, hmm, this ought to be interesting. So I pulled it up. And once I got pulled up, I sucked it into it. It says, while data analysis cannot on its own demonstrate fraud or systematic issues, it can point to statistically anomalous cases that invites further scrutiny. I remember when I was working with the data scientist that we hired from NASA, and I, I looked at the Chade tree, which was maybe 100 cells, and I said, but this one over here looks really peculiar. I don't know how that could even happen. And he said, oh, the rest of it looks fine. And I said, no, we can't do it that way. If there's one serious anomaly, we have to look into it. And it turned out the whole thing was broken. It looked good except for that one piece. Okay, And my master's thesis is on how disconfirmation, an anomaly, actually reveals more information than confirmation. Confirmation doesn't tell you much of anything. It's only when things look broken that, they, that you get the insights. So I thought, well, let's see. Let's see what looks like. And basically, there were four big batches of votes that went in in four key states, and those four batches determined the election, determined the winner of the election. If they they hadn't happened, and I'm not saying that they should be thrown away, I'm just saying if they hadn't happened, 
Trump wins. Since they happen, Biden is projected the winner. Okay? Simple as that. What do we do with those four batches of votes? Four. Just four batches of votes. All came in at like 4 to 6 a.m. the next day. Now, I'm going to try and be really fair about this because, you know, one side says, oh, yeah, they all came in in the middle of the night, probably semi-trucks full of fake ballots. Okay, well, that could be the case. Well, I'm not saying how it was done. I'm not saying even what was done. But I am. But the other side says, oh, yeah, well, those were the mail-in ballots, and Trump said not to, to do mail-in ballots. I'm not aware that he did. I did an absentee ballot. Um, a lot of my friends did, you know. I don't know that anybody listens <laughs> to what politicians tell them to do in the first place. So, uh, but uh, it turns out that some of the legislatures said you can't count these votes until after the polls close. I don't know why that was a rule change. Now, there was also rule changes that said we'll allow any, basically any mail-in votes, whether they match or they don't. There's all kinds of rule changes. So this was a totally anomalous election. Most of the, many of the rules were thrown out in these key states. Really interesting to me. So here's what the vote batches look like in Michigan. And you're going along here and the red is Trump. Trump is clearly, it looks like the differential may even be growing here. And then it seems to be closing up a little. And then, boop, and I don't know, it's 120,000 votes or something in one batch. And as I said, the explanation is, well, these were all the absentee ballots and we counted them all at once. In and it's only, you know, like one county, two or three precincts. You know, I think maybe one precinct. Kaboom, like that. I would have to say with 40 years of experience, that looks odd. I would be looking into that. Okay? Don't know why, don't know how, that's where I would look. This is Wisconsin, even better. You know, it looks like in here the gap was not closing, you know. And I went to bed and I estimated that based on results up to here, up to the midnight or so, based on those results, I would say that the differential in Milwaukee County was about 50,000 votes so I, and about half reporting. So I said, okay, based on that, another 50,000 votes, Trump wins by 70,000 or something. Some number like that. In comes this one. Boop. And if you haven't seen this, you know, I don't blame you. Nobody's covering it. Okay? And I'm just showing it to you. So if you think there's no evidence of something unusual, there's evidence of something unusual. Does this mean fraud? Does this mean cheating? Does this... I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't know if anybody knows. Maybe they'll. Maybe we'll figure that out. Here's another interesting thing from a statistical standpoint. I have never taken a statistical course except a videotape course from PBS called Against All Odds. <laughs> I think it was about high school level. And But big batches of votes explained by the force to count them later. We're going to put them all in in one batch. That's the explanation. Is that credible? Don't know. Big batches of votes come in, but normally the bigger the numbers the closer to the mean they fall. Okay? Now, let's... And, and, and only the small places... For example, let's say there's a precinct in northern Wisconsin that has one voter. People have moved away. There just isn't much going on. Or maybe five voters. We'll give it some... We'll give it the possibility of actually being real. Let's say there's five voters. 
And let's say they all got together at the bar and decided that they were going to vote for Joe Biden. I don't, it doesn't matter. We would have 100% vote for Joe Biden. That is not that unusual, okay? I was in a room with 100 people or so at Ed Burnett's seminar in 1981. And I, of, all, of the 100, we all flipped a coin and I got five heads in a row. I was the only one in the room. Um, Ed asked, you know, how many got one head, two heads, three heads, four heads, five heads? I was the only one. Now, in college, I practiced flipping a coin in a way that would come up the same every time if I wanted it to. I don't remember if I deliberately tried to do that, but it is possible. Okay, so when we see these anomalous pieces of data in our regular data analysis, in our loading of customer orders, we often see one big order somewhere. Okay, that's fine. Uh, or one really odd margin or something like that. Usually, the but and when we model, I try to get as many cells as is statistically viable. And so usually I try to get it down to like 5,000 in a cell. Okay, because 5,000 will get you at 1% 50 orders. And that's a pretty solid number in, uh, in uh, statistical uncertainty. Uh, and so... But when I go below that, or even at 5,000, what you'll see in the modeling process is a lot of up and down stuff when you validate it. It's just jumpy. And when you go to 10,000 or 20,000, if you have a big mailing, you know, if, you, if you're mailing 5 million, it won't be that jumpy. If you're mailing 500,000, it won't be that jumpy because it'll be 100 cells of 5,000 or you can do 80 cells of 6,000 or whatever it is. And so... But you mail 100,000 and you try to model it, it's not going to go much farther than RFM. And that's just the way it is. And that's why I tell clients, you need to have a certain size to make this AI analysis stuff work. Because it's just jumpy and you won't get a solid validation, you won't get a solid model. Okay. So the principle is, the smaller the sample size, the smaller the batch size, the closer to the mean it falls, the less interesting it is. The smaller, the more interesting, but the less statistically valid it is. Does that make sense? Sure, you bet. Okay, so now what what this author did was, and in one of the in one of the comments under Rand Paul, this author was completely discredited, but I didn't check out the discreditor or the author, so I don't. I'm just showing you the graphs, okay? And I've seen that boop graph before. Now, in this case, what was done, and this is Michigan, was we took the differential of votes. So how many were gained, okay? And uh, how many were gained? And these are kind of, it's kind of a X, Y. It's kind of two things at the same time, okay? So, but what you see is that the... The differential, this is the differential here of, of how big a, of a gap was it. And, you know, there's a vote over here for Trump, looks like. Here's some Trump votes, but it's fairly close to zero. Okay, so there's, it's just a big batch, has a lot of votes in it. Okay, and Trump got uh, a 50,000 differential. So there are some big batches, and but they're close to zero. They're not really... Um, they're not really that far off the mean of, you know, and there may be an explanation. In these situations, the thing that we can do is look to context. 
Is this an area that always does that every election? How about 2016? Okay, so over in here, this is Michigan. And what we see, the unusual part about this is that this batch was both by far the largest, way off the mean. Not sure why they did that. It would have made more sense not to do a batch that big. And also, it was the highest, furthest from the mean. Now, see, like here's here's one that's way off the mean as far as differential, but a ratio, but it's it's almost no population. It's a small, teeny, teeny batch. That's normal. This is normal. This is normal. Big differential, but not a big ratio, but not uh, a big batch. This obviously is not. And most data scientists will say, yeah, that's at least, you know, many in many data analyses, we would just throw that out. We'd throw this one out, we'd throw that one out. Throw this one out, maybe. Okay? This one's a big batch, but it's close to the mean. Does that make sense? Here's Wisconsin. Okay? And this is, uh, this is the differential of third party, where the third party people almost got the same number of votes as Trump did. That's, again, an odd thing. Here's Wisconsin. Again, this is that one batch. Way, 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 way out here. Most of it's right here. Okay? Big batches. The big batches fall close to the mean, and that's the way it works. So, if you don't think there's any evidence that should be looked into, I think all Americans should say, gee, this does look odd. As a data scientist of 40 years... I'd say this looks odd. What does it tell you about making money with data? What it tells you is that when you spot something, you want to figure it out. That's all it tells you. We can look at more context. We have to look at more context. We have to look at the circumstances. It's possible it's right. I found some crazy stuff that, were, that turned out to be right. Sometimes the crazy stuff is the one big breakthrough you haven't seen. And I tell story after story after story. But you have to have some confidence in the data as well. And I think as data scientists, we owe it to ourselves to look into it. So have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. And go to WDMA to subscribe if you want this marked up version. And again, I can't vouch for the author. I can't even vouch for those data points because I don't have access to that data set. But... I can say, on first glance, it does look peculiar. <laughs> I will grant that it's peculiar to anyone. Have a great day. Bye-bye.